This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. It was freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I outran a cold front when I gave my truck the reins. Barreling down I-35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space, leave that city. Hey there, howdy. This episode of The Other Side of Texas. Here we are again. I'm your host, Jay West, Texas. Leeson, plenty to sound off on today. Today being Monday. If you're listening, this is our edition here on Monday, October 1, Monday Night Football, otherwise known as Mahomes Day Night Football, uh, coming up just after the program. Two little boys that are really stoked. Yes. I got twin boys. They're nine. They cannot pay attention to anything that goes longer than four seconds. They can't even see through the fruition of brushing their teeth, much less tying both shoes. But they can sit and watch football for four hours at a time, sometimes eight hours at a time, and do for you the math on. So whenever it comes to school, well, we can't. I don't know. You know. What's 18 minus 10? I don't, I don't know. Well, how many how many yards do they need to get this third down? Uh, 18. Uh, so is 18 bigger or smaller than 10? Oh, it's much bigger. There has to be a pass here. Like, the sort of expertise that young boys can put forward. I think it's just some primitive, innate wiring in boys. Uh, but we did go this weekend. Last time I was with you, they were all in studio because we're on the east side of Lubbock and we we're headed out of town, uh, headed east for Arlington. They loved it. Uh, I've got that stuff up on my Facebook. <clears throat> Great ending to the game. We were right there. It happened right in front of us. The Cowboys winning 28-26. to And uh, those boys just loving it. We're raving on from the studios where Buddy Holly became famous. More about Jerry World. I've got some reflections I'm going to give you on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. Uh, from the studios where Buddy Holly became famous and uh, broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios. Voted Lubbock's Best Wash for five years running stop into one of five convenient locations across the hub city for the best wash around guaranteed there at racerwash.com i went in, i went in today and we driven back from dallas my uh my in-laws have a a tree in which i guess every bird in the neighborhood congregates in and the truck looked like it the next morning. It was whited out, shall we say. And I went through the car wash there at, at Racer. And then the guy at the end looked at the truck and said, Hey, why don't you pull back around? Let's do this one more time. That's why they are 
the best wash around guaranteed. You want to be part of the program today, 806-745-5800. And I will admittedly tell you, I'm too old to have been diagnosed ADHD, but I am. And so we're going to have kind of a shotgun program, going to bring things up as we set up the week. All eyes this week on the region. Sorry. Uh, All eyes this week on the Regents meeting, October 4, Thursday. That's where people are looking. The first meeting of the Regent Gate 5. It's been amended from October 4 and 5 to just October 4. And uh, some questions to ask about being under the thumb via the Rolling Stones there. Um, that's what sets up the week, but where I want to start, I've had a lot of people ask me about this. I am a West Texican, and by that I mean I'm not a devotee of either party. In a great piece by Tim Keller coming up in about half an hour from now in the New York Times this weekend, Tim Keller, an evangelical leader, uh, talking about Jesus is not, you cannot describe Jesus or put him within the box of either party. I want to talk about that because I've got the shingles, the seminary shingles to talk about that. Uh, Also, I should say Scott Braddock coming up here in about eight minutes from now. We'll talk about the latest in Texas politics. But I've had a lot of people asking me about this Brett Kavanaugh thing about the hearings, and I try to focus on state issues and on regional issues and try not to get into, because it's a, it's a no-man's territory. When you're beginning to national politics, you say Trump, one side starts screaming at the top of their lungs, the other puts their fingers in their ears and says, no, 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 no. Nobody can hear anything. But I wanted to, I wanted to begin from a West Texican, again, not a devotee of either party. I'm not a hardliner on either party, but admittedly, I do vote Republican. And I have a lot of Democratic friends who listen to this show and read what I have to say and listen to what I have to say out of a respect. And I really appreciate it. It's it's an honor that the dissenting side would... uh, would take time to listen to what I have to say in a in a culture and a society politically right now that is no 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 no. But I got to tell you, I've watched this Kavanaugh stuff. I've kept up on it, and I have reached a point where I actually want to do a monologue on the show about it. Brett Kavanaugh up for the Supreme Court, and this is what I want to say. How many amongst us cast the first stone if you would like your junior or senior year, or for that matter, your college years, put under a microscope in order to be eligible for an office, whether that be an appointed office or that be in an elected office. And I don't think there are many of you who would want that, nor do I. 
Because then it's at that point where, and I talk about some great political leaders on this show, uh, John Sharp, appreciate our listeners in College Station. If you hate them, okay. Uh, if you don't like them, okay. But the fact of the matter is a very shrewd, sharp politician. Uh, we talk about John Monford, uh, the deceased, Delwyn Jones, Pete Laney, uh, Bob Duncan. Go down the list of great politicians, we risk right now in this Brett Kavanaugh moment of having only Ned Flanders in 20 years in office. Because who's going to want to run for office? You hit on a girl? And look, and this is the one thing I want to say. I have two beautiful blonde-haired girls in my house. Uh, One is my wife of... Coming up on 17 years on the 20th of this month. The other is my daughter, who's 11, and I see her transforming into a woman. I'm very protective of both. I'll fight you. I'll put your teeth on the curb and step on the back of your head if you come at my girls. But with regard to this Kavanaugh thing, you cannot say that some warranted criticism of what you see happening therefore means that you are a pro-sexual predator that you're therefore a pro uh your pro-sexual harassment and then much worse a sexual victimization that is low bar and for a lot of liberals out there you're a lot smarter than that and it's It is the ultimate means to an end. And this is my question. Is it worth, are these means worth the end that we're coming to with Brett Kavanaugh? Is it going to be worth disqualifying all sorts of great people because we're going to look at their, their conduct at 17 years old and draw out calendars from 37 years ago i defied this more than a few times on this program and others but i think we're on a dangerous course and democrats listen to me you may usurp brett kavanaugh's nomination here you may well usurp it but at what cost and democrats at the same time like i remember it's 37 years ago even the Anita Hill stuff with Clarence Thomas at least that was more recent than 37 years ago and this all from the party of Bill Clinton Bill Clinton who still thinks harass is two words still to this day so I call out BS on this show. I don't care if it has to do with the Regents. I don't care what news source it has to do with, what source of news from which it derives. But this is bunk. (laughs) And I think anybody reasonably looking at this says, if this is going to be the litmus, like what about Senators Dodd and Kennedy back in the 80s? I've got a story that we'll get into later. As sexually assaulting a waitress. and But again, harass is still two words to Bill Clinton. 
And if it, if the tides were turned, you wouldn't get this kind of support from the Democratic National Committee against a Bill Clinton. And I think it's utterly false. And moreover, I think that it's dangerous that we've entered this rhetoric and these standards at this point in time and does not do. We talk about the region here. We talk about West Texas and other sides of Texas. But here I'm talking about the the republic itself. And this does not bode well. Yeah, I think it's perfectly feasible to believe survivors and to also uphold a presumption of innocence. And any time this country, whenever we get away from a presumption of innocence, whether that be Jim Crow or burning would-be supposedly witches in Salem, or even this day, burning a man alive and his reputation, his family, that's a. not only do I think it's a problem now, it's a problem going forward and you'll just hear programs like this more and more that that critique politicians because they will not be good politicians, certainly not good representatives of their places and their regions because of the bar. Democrats, you really got to ask yourself, how far are we going to go with this? Because it's out of line. And, you know, like my friend Brandon Darby has said on Twitter, you you thought that you had a good election line, a quote-unquote blue wave, that could at least have some impact. And I think that you've just fired up an electorate who, and I think, quite frankly, a lot of Democrats who see what's happening to Brett Kavanaugh and say, you know what, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to vote because, um, as the big Lebowski would say, this aggression will not stand, man. That's where we stand as we kick off this week. Uh, Going to get in with some Scott Braddock, check in on Texas politics, talking about Jesus and the parties. Going to go deep on this edition of The Other Side. Stick right where you are. Make some money. Be right back with you here. AM 580. And your love makes a living worthwhile. Hey, raving on right here on your other side. Oh, Peggy Sue of Peggy Sue. Notoriety passing away today. Uh, we just, sorry about that. Uh, Godspeed, Peggy Sue. But we do rave on here. The other side of Texas, sponsored by the law firm of Mullen, Horde, and Brown LLP with offices in Lubbock, Amarillo, and Dallas employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation, banking, financial restructuring, employment law, and estate planning on the most talked about afternoon radio show, or maybe even the program as a whole. The most listened to program in West Texas. We have Scott Braddock of the Quorum Report, editor of the Quorum Report, as he joins in with us weekly here on the other side of Texas. How are you doing, Scott Braddock? Doing well, sir. How are you? I'm just ready for some Braddock on Texas. I'll do what I can. I'm ready to go. Well, um, I just... 
I don't like to talk about national politics, but I had mm-hmm. to, you know, my gears have really been grinding on this Kavanaugh thing, on this Brett Kavanaugh yeah. thing, as the country mm-hmm. watches that, and it's sucking mm-hmm. up all the oxygen in the room, uh, the room being the country, and it's mm-hmm. just, uh, I'll just ask you, I brought it up in the first segment, Scott Braddock, I'll ask you here, um, how does the party... Uh, Bill Clinton, who still thinks harass is two words, think that they're going to get away with this? <laughs> well, you can just flip the players, right? I mean, on the one side, you would have the people saying what you just said. On the other side, you would have uh, the fact that uh, this uh, person who's now being investigated for what he has uh, allegedly done, uh, you know, of a sexual nature toward uh, women, uh, was one of the guys who led the investigation into what uh, President Clinton was doing of the sexual nature. So people are angry. People are, um, you know, we're talking about this in a very interesting way. A lot of the Republican uh, thought leaders out there are talking about this. Uh, And when I say thought leaders, I mean um, not just lawmakers and senators and representatives, but also talk show hosts, columnists, et cetera, people saying things like this. I do sympathize with Professor Ford and think that she did go through something. I'm just not convinced that it was Judge Kavanaugh who did it. On the other side, the Democrats are saying uh, that more uh, questions have been created by the testimony that was given by Professor Ford and Judge Kavanaugh. Of course, uh, the Democrats uh, for now uh, are, I would say, just objectively are winning the battle for, from this uh from this perspective, the vote has not happened yet on Judge Kavanaugh, which, of course, Republicans were hoping to have early this week. You had Jeff Flake say that, look, there are more questions here. The FBI needs to investigate, reopen their background check of the judge and look into this more. How this plays politically, um, you know, it's very interesting. You know, back in the day when the Anita Hill hearing was had uh, in the confirmation of Justice Thomas, um, Thomas was confirmed which may happen with Kavanaugh. We'll all have to you know, stay tuned and see. Uh, but after Justice Thomas was confirmed, that was very good for the opposition party, for the Democrats. Uh, and if Judge Kavanaugh is confirmed, it may be good for the Democrats this time around. Keep in mind that uh, when the uh, confirmation hearing for Justice Thomas happened and the dramatic testimony was offered by Anita Hill, it wasn't right before the election. Well, this is right before the election, and the question is going to be which side's base gets more fired up about exactly how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Man, and I think a lot of bearing on turnout in what some folks thought would be, I mean, let's start here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard a lot of people in Texas politics, of course, there are 150 members of the House, and what's that divided up right now? Braddock, it's like... Uh, 95 Republicans, 55 Democrats. Yeah. So uh, some thinking that that number could jump up to 65, maybe 70 Mm -hmm. Democrats. uh, And that Houston and Dallas going blue. But there's some other thought based upon this Kavanaugh clown show, and that's my own wording on it. But maybe this does fire up Republicans. Maybe they do turn out in ways where they were not given incentive prior to turnout in places like Mm -hmm. the metro areas. It's possible. Um, You know, when you look at what has historically happened during midterm elections, it has been 
Republican voters who have turned out for midterms, uh, particularly in Texas and, and in other parts of the country as well, um, during midterms you generally see whichever party is in power in Washington in the White House, they will suffer losses during the midterms. Uh, but it has been true, it has also been true that Republicans have generally done a better job of turning out their voters in these midterms. So depending on how it plays out in Washington, um, you may see the Republican base just as fired up as it would normally be during a midterm. I could imagine a couple of different scenarios. One, if Kavanaugh um, is voted on by the Senate, if they go ahead and have that floor vote, but his nomination fails, and you do have a couple of the uh, swing Republicans uh, vote against him, uh, and then he's not confirmed, I could see the Republican base being extra fired up about that and really turning out to the polls. Um, I think what would really depress the Republican base, which I don't see this happening, but it, you know anything's possible at this point, um, if they were to withdraw the nomination of Kavanaugh and they didn't have that vote on the floor, then I could see the base of the Republican Party being depressed. Uh, and look, the, the X factor here has been what are the Democrats going to do as far as their turnout? They're the ones who have not performed as well uh, during these midterm elections, uh, with a few exceptions. Um, but if they do turn out in the kind of numbers we're expecting, uh, and if they're particularly fired up because there is a vote on Kavanaugh and he is confirmed, and they make that the number one issue in the midterm elections going forward, uh, you may see uh, some Republicans lose in places that you otherwise might not expect. Scott Braddock, that's a good curveball, buddy. Nice, solid contact. I think you hit a triple there. Uh, not something we discussed you <laughs> you commenting on as uh, we kick off this week with Braddock on Texas. But Always happy to follow your lead, Jay. Uh, let's go to things that you are tracking. And mm -hmm. not that you aren't tracking Kavanaugh, but things that we actually said that we would talk about. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the presser at the top of the hour, based upon the news that runs at the top of the hour here at KRV AM 580, Canada is privileged to do trade with these United States, according to Donald Trump. Uh, yes, sir. Talk to us about Canada coming back to the table on NAFTA. Well, it's NAFTA 2.0. Uh, look, this has been a very, very just interesting, fascinating situation with this president um, who has uh, basically put us all through the ringer about how we were going to uh, do trade with our neighbors to the north and to the south. Uh, you know that business leaders in this state have been very interested in saving the North American Free Trade Agreement. And what this looks like is the North American Free Trade Agreement Redux. Uh, they're going to call it something different. Um, the uh, new, uh, the new catchphrase here, the new uh, brand for it is the United States-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreement, USMCA. Uh, I guess at some point that will have to roll off of all of our tongues. But you know, still looking through the details here. Haven't gone through everything, but uh, it looks a lot like NAFTA. And look, a lot of folks who have been in favor of extending NAFTA have, of course, said that some updates needed to be made. I mean, this is something that was uh, agreed to by this by the uh, three countries, uh, you know, about, about a quarter century ago. Uh, there have been so many technological updates and other changes in our very dynamic economies, uh, So, you know, such that there do need to be uh, updates to this. Senator John Cornyn uh, had held what he called NAFTA modernization hearings, including uh, one that I attended in San Antonio, where business, uh, business leaders from around Texas made the point uh, that uh, this 
um, trade with our neighbors to the south, in particular for us in Texas, is just critical to our economy. Uh, the Texas Association of Business today uh, said that they congratulated uh, the leadership of all three countries involved. And they made sure to point out the Texas trade partnership with Mexico and Canada creates about one million jobs in this state. Annual export, uh, annual exports in this state uh, of over uh, 112 billion dollars to Mexico and Canada. Beyond Texas, trade with these two countries supports about 14 million jobs all across this country. Nearly five million supported by increases in trade. So, any way you look at it, it's a good thing. I mean, from my perspective, from business leaders' perspective, and uh, from the perspective of the president, he's getting to claim a big win here, even though it should not go unnoted that he's the one who caused the problem in the first place by causing tensions with our neighbors to the north and the south and now bringing them back to the table to make what looked like uh, to be some minor changes. But I think a lot of folks are going to breathe easier in the business community once this has been uh, ratified by the uh, legislative bodies, of course, in all three countries. That's not a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. All that still has to go through Congress. All that still has to go through um, you know, the legislative branches in Canada and in Mexico. Uh, but this is a significant step forward. Uh, initiating problems, <laughs> no doubt. I think that mm-hmm. uh, Donald Trump would perfectly be willing to sign on that line. But uh, initiating changes nonetheless, on something that Cornyn and others have said needed changes. Some changes, although the if you if you go through the details and, and probably don't have time to go through every single detail about everything that's in the NAFTA 2.0, however, um, if you look at what's there, uh, it, you didn't really need to go to DEFCON 5 to get these kind of changes done. Uh, the negotiations were already underway, and in fact, a lot of what has been agreed to here are things uh, that were basically on President Trump's desk when he came in. President Obama's administration had been working on some of this stuff already. However, I don't want to take anything away from President Trump, who is getting this victory today. I say this mainly because a lot of us don't want to screw it up at this point. Yeah, Scott Braddock, editor of the Quorum <laughs> let's keep Report. It all, let's keep it all between the navigational beacons. That would be good. Braddock on Texas. Uh, so... The big race in Texas right now, Beto O'Rourke and Mm -hmm. Ted Cruz. I think that we were all watching, uh, speaking of Brett Kavanaugh, that's uh, driven the national narrative and driven a lot of statewide availability, as it were. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were set to debate on Sunday night, and we didn't know where. We all saw Jeff Flake, uh, Arizona senator, roll out, you know, maybe let's do a week of FBI investigation and then come back, mm-hmm. which seemed yep. to free up a lot of senators on the Judiciary Committee, including Ted Cruz. But they did not debate on Sunday night. What's the uh, background there, Scott Braddock? Interesting um, developments on this. Of course, as you mentioned, Senator Cruz is on the Judiciary Committee, and uh, their schedule was up in the air because nobody knew exactly how this was going to play out. It was going to potentially be that there would be a vote uh, on the floor on Tuesday of the full Senate. Uh, and to be able to do that, they may have had to hold some votes um, in the Senate over the weekend. Uh, and so this debate that had been scheduled for Sunday 
was said to be postponed, uh, and that was uh, late last week. Uh, but then when Jeff Flake floated this uh, proposal to have the FBI reopen their background investigation on Judge Kavanaugh, uh, that meant that there would not be an, uh, you know, another significant vote in the Senate uh, for a full week which meant that Ted Cruz uh, was able to debate on Sunday. And so his campaign reached out to the O'Rourke campaign and said, look, uh, the Senate schedule is in flux. I'm not the one in control of that. But now we are going to be free on Sunday. And so we'd like to go ahead with this debate. O'Rourke said that he had already been uh, booked up, uh, you know, after he heard that the debate had been postponed, that he made other, other arrangements. It turned out that on Sunday evening when the debate would have been happening, a work was on Facebook Live uh, doing a message for his um, for his followers, and uh, part of that included uh, doing a live version uh, of what I guess will become a television ad, in which a work talks about all the negativity from the other side and trying to keep things positive. So instead of having a debate in Houston on Sunday evening, a work was on Facebook Live. Uh, cutting a political advertisement, which of course he can do. But uh, one significant thing about that is that uh, that uh, Congressman O'Rourke uh, doesn't really seem that interested in rescheduling this debate because it does seem that uh, he would have jumped at the chance. Usually, as you know, it's the challenger uh, in one of these races who is anxious to have a debate and to be able to have an exchange of ideas with the uh, incumbent, with uh, the presumed frontrunner, uh, Senator Cruz. In this instance, it looked like Senator Cruz was the one who was more interested in reinstating the debate and getting back on stage with O'Rourke so they could have round two. Um, so that could mean a couple things. One, that uh, Cruz does believe that the debates are helpful to him uh, and that O'Rourke may believe that that first debate was not all that helpful to him. We should also note that on uh, Saturday evening, O'Rourke uh, had a free concert with Willie Nelson in Austin, and uh, the estimates uh, are between 50, 50, and 60, 60,000 uh, people uh, were at that uh, concert in Austin. Of course, uh, how many of those people were there just to see Willie Nelson? I don't know, uh, but there was a lot of enthusiasm for our work. Um, and I made the comment on social media today. Some people didn't appreciate it, I guess, but uh, it really is that our work's campaign is more about the fields about the feeling he's giving to the people who are supporting him uh, and not so much about making reasoned arguments in the debate setting, which, of course, is something that Senator Cruz excels at. Of course, they do have one more debate that is scheduled coming up in San Antonio. We'll see if that actually happens. Scott Braddock, let me ask you, before we get in, I want to get into a state senator with some allegations against him. Hmm. But let me just ask you this. Based upon your observation, things that you're hearing, my argument has been Beto O'Rourke at this point, given the sort of branches that he's gone out on unnecessarily, unprompted, uh, with what he's chosen to speak to, the kneeling, you know, Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. these sorts of things. Um, And good people can disagree on those issues, but he's done them without without necessity, um, gotten away from talking about public schools and mule shoe to mm-hmm. talking about uh, fairly combustible uh, points. Is he running at this point, Scott Braddock, for U.S. Senator, or is he running as a VP or even a presidential candidate in 2020? 
These are certainly national issues that he is talking about. Uh, it's not the kind of uh, bread and butter issues that uh, people in Texas are concerned about in their everyday lives. Not to say, as you point out, not to say that these aren't things that people absolutely care about, uh, but you will notice uh, that when uh, Representative O'Rourke is talking about a lot of these things, he does talk in a way that lends itself to a national campaign. He talks a lot about what's good for America. He also talks, of course, about what he thinks is good for Texas. Um, but it does seem to have the tone and tenor of a national campaign. It's also important to note that O'Rourke is not really running as a Democrat, and what I mean by that is you don't see him appearing with a lot of other Democratic candidates. You don't see him handing out a lot of uh, endorsements to Democratic candidates. You don't see him doing much to help other Democrats who are also on the ticket. I know that there are a lot of Democrats uh, in South Texas, for example, who are very frustrated that, one, he did not do anything to try to help uh, Pete Gallego when he was running in that special election uh, against a Republican uh, for state Senate. Uh, did nothing in that campaign, as far as anybody can tell. And also, he has repeatedly taken a pass on endorsing the Democrat who's running against uh, Republican Congressman Will Hurd uh, in South Texas. Gina Ortiz-Jones is running against Hurd, and she has uh, been denied the endorsement of O'Rourke. And O'Rourke has said, well, look, I'm not going to endorse against my friend, uh, Will Hurd, because we have to work together in Washington. You know, he may be a Republican, and I'm a Democrat, uh, but I'm all about bipartisanship and being able to work across uh, party lines at a lot of his rallies, including the one uh, in Austin where Willie Nelson was playing uh, this free concert. Uh, you heard a work, I'm paraphrasing, but he was saying things like, you know, whether you're a Republican, Democrat or whatever, this is the right place for you to be. Uh, so he's not running as an openly partisan Democrat even though his voting record in Washington, of course, as has been pointed out by the Cruz campaign, is one of a liberal Democrat. A couple of minutes here left with our friend Scott Braddock, quorumreport.com. Uh, again, the monologue today on Brett Kavanaugh in what mm-hmm. I fear is a lack of presumption of innocence. You don't have to get into that. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. But speaking of a presumption of innocence, The Texas Senate has a Republican chairman, a chairman of committee in the Senate, is accused of sexting, and that's uh, sending text, lewd text messages of one's genitalia to another. And in this case, the allegations coming from a uh, grad student at the University Mm -hmm. of Texas. Give us the latest on that, Scott Braddock. Well, it was interesting to see Lieutenant Governor Patrick's uh, response to this. Uh, Charles Schwartner, the chairman of the uh, Health and Human Services Committee in the Senate, stands accused of doing what you just said, of uh, sexting with a co-ed at UT. As far as we can tell, uh, nothing uh, criminal in nature, but certainly something that does not look good. Uh, In the public, we have not seen evidence of uh, the photo that you uh, referenced, um, but the University of Texas is, in, is investigating right now to see if this is something that uh, that really happened, and they are considering uh, banning the senator from the UT campus. So it is a serious thing. Um, Lieutenant Governor Patrick's response was not to defend at all one of his chairmen. And remember, the lieutenant governor presides over the Texas Senate, and the first 
standing order of a presiding officer is to defend the institution, protect the institution. So when one of his chairmen is accused of something, you might expect him to immediately defend that person or at least say something like, well, I cannot imagine that this is true. Well, Patrick did not say anything like that. Instead, what he said was he was, quote, deeply concerned about these allegations reported in the Austin American Statesman on September 25th regarding Senator Schwartner. Patrick said, quote, I had no advanced knowledge of the inquiry until I read about the news report. He also said the Texas Senate's awaiting the conclusion of an investigation and expects, uh, expects a full report on this matter uh, to be uh, done. And Patrick looks forward to uh, seeing what uh, has happened there and, and you know what's going to come out of the investigation. In the meantime, uh, the senator, through his uh, attorney, uh, Roy and Perry Minton, are, are the attorneys who are representing him. And by the way, these are uh, some uber criminal defense uh, attorneys uh, in Austin. Uh, as one person quipped, they're not the lawyers you get if you're innocent. Okay, um, They said on behalf of the senator, quote, we have spent hours with Senator Schwartner and others regarding these claims. Senator Schwartner did not send any inappropriate texts as alleged, period. Now, my publisher, Harvey Kronberg, wrote in a column on Friday uh, that the significance for the entire Senate is that if Senator Schwartner is forced to resign over this, and of course he gets the presumption of innocence, as you said in your monologue about Kavanaugh, he does get that. But if it turns out uh, that he's forced to resign uh, over something like this, uh, every vote in the Texas Senate counts. And so if his seat is not filled by a Republican, uh, and then if you actually had a couple of other Republicans lose their Senate seats in the fall, which is possible, Senator Connie Burton in Tarrant County, which we've talked about, uh, her race, she has a competitive race against a Democrat, and so does uh, Senator Don Huffines in Dallas County. To a lesser extent, there's a senator down in Houston by the name of Joan Huffman who maybe has a competitive race as well. But if uh, any of those lose, plus you're down Schwartner, you start to eat into that supermajority uh, that has allowed Dan Patrick to rule with an yeah. iron fist let's, in the Texas Senate. So it does have significance. Let's talk about uh, just for one second. There are 31 senators in Texas Senate. Rules right now, 19 bring something to the floor. So it's a, mm-hmm. some would call it an unconstitutional uh, governance so by the lieutenant governor in the Senate because you've got more Republicans than are needed to bring something to the floor. The supermajority that you speak of is that he has mandate to bring to the floor what he will as the presiding mm-hmm. officer. Uh, so in what you just laid out, the the line is at 19 out of 31. How many how many Senate seats are actually in trouble or, or up for grabs right now? Up for grabs, there are three. So if he had to, um, if Schwartner had to resign and then those three senators were to lose their seats to Democrats, uh, then they would be down to 17 Republicans because they are at uh, 21 uh, right now. Yeah, and how so many- it absolutely makes a difference. And then, and and but it, you also have to remember that uh, there is a, and of course this is down in the weeds, but that's where we live, right, Jay Leeson? Um, in Houston, there is a senator by the name of Sylvia Garcia who is on track to be the next congresswoman from Houston, one of the next congresswomen from Houston, uh, and she so far has refused to uh, resign from her seat, and it looks like her seat will be open. Uh, will not be occupied when the legislature convenes in January. So that means that, uh, and you mentioned the rules, um, right now it takes 19 uh, senators who uh, of those who are present to be able to move a piece of legislation forward. But that 
the words of the ones who are present, that's what's key, because if that senator from Houston is not there, then that means the magic number drops to 18 senators to move a piece of legislation forward. And that's why when we're talking about these three senators who could lose their seats in Houston, Dallas, and Fort Worth, um, if they were to lose their seats and then if Senator Schwartner were forced to resign, then you get down to 17, uh, and then you have a completely new uh, set of math to work with, uh, if you will, in the Texas Senate. Yeah, so, Braddock, my last question for you. 95 Republicans at present in the Texas House. How many of those 95 are really hoping that some of these, because the Texas House and Texas Senate do war with one another in the legislature, and this is not new, it's historic, Mm -hmm. it's something that's always happened, two bodies against one another. Give us Mm -hmm. a percentage of those 95 Republicans. How many of them are quietly off the record hoping (laughs) that Democrats... Uh, pull off a couple of those seats in the Senate. Just give but me maybe a Democrats. Well, you know, I can give you one indication, which is that um, a former Republican senator. It doesn't go exactly to your question, but you'll see where I, you'll see where I'm going with it. A former Republican senator from East Texas, uh, Bob Dool, just endorsed the Democrat who's running against Senator Bob Hall from the Dallas area. Uh, and Senator Duell, uh, speaking as a Republican, he said in his endorsement of a guy named Kendall Scudder, who is uh, the Democrat running against Hall, uh, Duell said, quote, with only 31 Texas state senators, it is very important to have a state senator who is effective and competent as well as knowledgeable on the many issues facing our state. Bob Hall is none of the above. I heard mm-hmm. from several, I heard from several current Republican office holders uh, who said that they agreed with the former Republican office holder as he makes this endorsement to try to change the dynamics in the Texas Senate. Wow. Scott Braddock, boys and girls, go listen to him or read him, quorumreport.com. Yeah, and they, by, by the way, Jay, they yeah. can listen to Texas Take Podcasts on iTunes or yeah. anywhere that you get your podcasts. Yeah, well, thanks, buddy. Uh, it's hard to compete. It's hard to compete with the other side of Texas, but I guess everybody's doing a podcast now. Uh, it, uh, not, well, okay. Hey, we tried to put forward a pretty good podcast. You know that you're a it's big It's pretty good. Uh, it, it's lots of listeners. At Scott Braddock on Twitter. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Talk soon. Uh, Scott Braddock getting off with us, and we're going to get into running a little bit behind. Kept them longer than normal. I want to get into some, you know, I got a theology degree, the shingle on the wall, and two things that haunt me. One is Voltaire said, God created man in his image, and then man decided to return the favor. And then you had Schopenhauer, the kind of crazy German, say all theological talk is anthropology. And whenever we start making Jesus into our preferred party, taking up our own contemporary political stances, it doesn't reflect well. And not just on Jesus, he can defend himself. Uh, But it doesn't bear well on us. And I want to get into that. Tim Keller, an evangelical in New York City, writing a great New York Times piece. Going to get some Leeson Unfiltered coming up right here. Stick right where you are on the other side of Texas. Have a little falling out.
this segment brought to you by Title One, Lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company. Title One is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at Title One. Dot com West Texacans and West Texacans. Let me just tell you, I've done a lot of time in the Methodist Church, and if I say that's like prison, maybe uh, you just take from it what you will. A lot of time, but I scoff. Lots of you hear this, and I appreciate whenever I see some of you, and you're like, "Oh, I like your show." Uh, one line I get back a lot is that. I believe that there are more Aborigines in Lubbock, Texas, than there are real liberals. And by real liberals, I mean Diane Feinstein coastal liberals. And I can tell you, so in the Methodist Church, I don't want to go too far in the weeds. In the Methodist Church, there's a thing called the Church of uh, Church Global Society. Some something like that. Methodism is famous for uh, more famous than potlucks is its committees, and church and global society is a thing that, like the old man in the pews in Wheeler or Slayton or Muleshoe, has no idea. There, he puts money in the plate. It's going to church global society, and these people. And I try to stay away from like partisan ideological exaggeration on the show because I want you to trust me and for us to go forward. But these people are left wing loons like you can't even draw a cartoon that would fully appreciate and demonstrate how crazy some of these people are. I've dealt with a lot of these people in the Methodist church where I was employed for a lot of years uh, after college and then, you know, in, in my 20s. And I've come to find with liberal Methodists, and there are a lot of good conservative Methodists, let me say that, like John Wesley, for example, um, Francis Asbury, and... Uh, I've got some texts to get to here in just a moment. But I've dealt with them long enough to know this, that whenever you can't go with them politically, whenever you're not willing to go with them politically, there begins to be this sense of maybe your soul is in jeopardy. Because, as I mentioned in the teaser coming into this segment, Voltaire's God made man his image, and then man decided to return the favor. If you can't go with them on political agenda, a question about your soul's security comes in line. Even though we believe the same things, we, we pay homage to the same book of discipline, the same, essentially the same catechism, you get the sense that People look at you with their eyes three-quarters drawn, saying, it almost like, curb your enthusiasm. It's almost like, eh, I don't know about you. I don't know about your soul. 
And I throw, you know, if you've seen Curb Your Enthusiasm, you see Larry David do that. Like, take a real close look into your eyes, your nose to nose. The only other time, if I may say, and I spent the first part of the show, the monologue, blasting Democrats. Well, let me say this. That the more I'm around Lubbock County Republicans, where they are no fans of mine because I'm willing to say things that their big balls in Caltown won't, the more time I spend around Lubbock County Republicans, especially the brass within Lubbock County Republicans, the more I get the sense, and it's the same, it's the only place I've ever sensed the same, uh, the same sort of sense, uh, the same sort of uh, emotion, or the same, some might say judgment, I won't go that far, but the same sort of analysis of another is with liberal Methodist. Whenever because I'm not willing to go with them because so many of them don't have real jobs and they don't see how real West Texas economy works and they want to vote down the line against public education. And, you know, it's just handouts in agriculture and it's handouts in, in medical and healthcare industries. And if you don't go with them on that, it's, there's a sense of your soul being in jeopardy. And I don't appreciate that because I got the shingles and I don't I don't care to do the time to have that. Kind of, to me, it's at that point. Hey, look, it's my home's day night football. I'm going to go home. I'm not going to try to get you your ox out of this ditch. But that's the sense I get from a lot of Lubbock County Republicans that. That if you don't go with them. Politically, it means that you're off theologically, and therefore, because God has been made in the image of a Lubbock County Republican, then uh, you're off base. Tim Keller wrote a great piece. Tim Keller is a leading evangelical voice in America right now, and not the kind of evangelical voice that is a televangelist. We're not talking Jimmy Swagger. Um. I'm going to read from that. We're going to take a break and come back in. But this is peace in the New York Times based off a new book that he's writing. What should the role of Christians in politics be? More people than ever are asking that question. Christians cannot pretend to transcend politics and simply, quote unquote, preach the gospel. Those who avoid all political discussions and engagement are essentially casting a vote for the status quo. American churches in the early 19th century that did not speak out against slavery because that was what they would call getting political were actually supporting slavery by doing so. To not be political is to be political. And you look at the pilgrims, and this is me speaking, you look at the pilgrims and the Quakers and the Puritans they had no place to go, and that's the problem with Jesus. If we're really going to talk about Jesus and Jesus Christ, the mission of God, and sorry, we're going to get off into the gospel power hour here, but it has no ascription to or submission to political forces of the day. And that's what you saw 
in the gospel was a usurping of the political authority of the day. The Messiah would lead a political revolt uh, in one that would be a, a revolt that would change heaven and earth. It would bring heaven into earth. And these parties are too small. That great line, David looking at Goliath, look how big he is, he's too big to hit. And David saying back, and I'm paraphrasing, he's too big to hit or too big to miss. Look how big he is. Well, look how good, look, look how big my God is. And, and, and that's the problem with trying to box Jesus into political categories. The Bible, Keller goes on, shows believers as holding important posts in pagan governments. Think of Joseph and Daniel in the New Testament. Christians should be involved politically as a way of loving our neighbors, whether they believe as we do or not. To work for better public schools or for a better public justice system is not weighed against the poor or to end racial segregation requires political engagement. Christians have done these things in the past and should continue to do so. To skip down, one reason to do so is that it gives those, well, one reason to avoid this, I should say, is that it gives those considering the Christian faith the strong impression that to be converted, they need not only to believe in Jesus, but also to become members of a, in parentheses, fill-in-the-blank party. It confirms what many skeptics want to believe about religion, that it is merely one more voting block aiming for power. Another reason not to align the Christian faith with one party is that most political positions are not matters of biblical command, but of practical wisdom. This does not mean that the church can never speak on social, economic, and political realities, because the Bible often does. Racism is a sin, violating the second of the two greatest commandments of Jesus to love your neighbor. The biblical commands to lift up the poor and defend the rights of the oppressed are moral imperatives for believers, for individual Christians to speak out against egregious violations of these moral requirements is not optional. However, there are many possible ways to help the poor. Should we shrink government and let private capital markets allocate resources, or should we expand the government and give the state more of the power to redistribute wealth? Or is the right path one of the many positions, possibilities in between? The Bible does not give exact answers on these questions for every time, place, and culture. That is Tim Keller in a piece in the New York Times, How Do Christians Fit Into a Two-Party System? Question mark. They don't. And, you know, in the sense of this program, the rave on, the West Texcanism, maybe the West, West Texocratism, uh, I, com- I completely applaud that. And our politics become too small. And one thing I'm always concerned about 
is what I'm going to tell you after the break. How about that? How about that teaser? One thing I'm really concerned about is what we're going to get into. Stick right with us here. Going to close out the show, tell you what you can anticipate on the rest of this week's episodes as we bear down for October 4 and the Regent Gate meeting, the Regents meeting, Texas Tech, Thursday of this week. Stick right with us here on the other side. Smith South Plains Ford, we're all about a better car buying experience. We understand that shopping for a car is a big deal, and that's why we believe in listening to what matters to you. Come see us in Leveland, where we have a wide selection of new Ford cars and trucks and an excellent sales staff. Love your car, love your dealership at Smith South Plains on Highway 114 in Leveland, Texas, or online at smithsouthplains.com. Love your car, love your dealership, Smith South Plains. Hey, get back in and close out with the Lubbock File Room. Lubbock File Room providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to whomever might need it in Lubbock and the surrounding areas. Whomever what do you got? might need it uh, for a free and hassle-free estimate. Call those guys who've been doing it since 1992. LubbockFileRoom.com, 806-744-7666. That's 806-744-7666. It really is concerning, as I tease going in, it's concerning, disconcerting, whenever a political platform, you're in a dangerous place in society, whenever a God who, and this would be a whole show to unpack, but challenge the Gentiles and challenge even the chosen people over and over again to the point that they were led into uh, an exodus and then they, well, not an exodus, but they were upheaved from their places. And to say that God thinks exactly like we do whenever that's inferred by parties, then... Uh, you said more about yourself than you have the triune God and the triune God's initiative. And I know that. And look, the reason I'm comfortable, I don't like just being contrarian. But I've been re- I've read enough and I've studied enough and I've thought on these things in a soul, a deep soul way long enough that I'm willing to say rave on, that I'm willing to do West Texanism. I don't want to run. I don't, I don't have rings to kiss or other things to kiss. I want to change the conversation. And the conversation, quite frankly, needs to be changed, especially in West Texas, where, where in, in, in most particularly in Lubbock, where you've got an economy that's run one way, and people who go out of their ways to vote against it, uh, to their own peril. And I don't like it. And I think I've, I've begged the question before, why can't you have a pro-life guy? Why can't you have a Second Amendment guy or gal? 
who also votes in your economic interests. Why is that impossible? And that's part of what I think has made the show what it is and why people are curious to listen to it. Because we're going to change this damn, excuse my language, I've talked about Jesus and now I'm cussing, but we're going to change this damn trajectory or I'm going to die trying. Uh, this is what we're caught up in right now is nonsense. And, and I don't appreciate it. And the mission of God is way too big. You know, you don't go usurping a society saying, help the man falling beside the road. Well, the man doesn't look like us. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, the neighbor is the one who helps. And you better love your God and love your neighbor at the end of the day. So, okay, I'm off the gospel power hour here edition on other side of the text. We really ought to get like some Catholic bookstore or some bookstore. Daniel, take a note. We need to get some Christian business to sponsor. Maybe Hobby Lobby brings you this edition of the other side of Texas Power Hour. See how that goes. Hey, um, tomorrow we have an exclusive interview with former Amarillo mayor. He was mayor whenever he's like 34, and now he's 75. Jerry Hodge, but you still got to give him deference with the title. Exclusive interview with us here. I think it goes about 20 minutes. We've already pre-recorded it. And he's going to get into what he thinks is going, why he's sponsored Fire Francis, why he's leading the charge on that, and why Jerry Hodge believes that there needs to be somebody to replace, first of all, a resignation by Rick Francis, the Board of Regents chairman, and secondly, for that replacement to be a female candidate from Amarillo or Lubbock. And I will say that I've heard some murmurs. If you don't know who Victoria, uh, well, her name was Victoria Mercer, and then she got married to Jeffrey Whitehead. Uh, Victoria Whitehead is was a student regent, somebody who knows Texas politics very well. Uh, Drew Darby, state representative, chairman out of uh, San Angelo, Drew Darby. She's an alumna of that group, a uh, sharp group of people. And I've heard her name be brought up, that the governor's people, as I reported on Friday, looking for a replacement for Greg Abbott. I do not know. She's not gone on record to tell me if she has filed an application to be uh, a next uh, border regent there at Texas Tech. But we'll have Jerry Hodge for you coming up tomorrow. So much to get into. Speaking of Amarillo, what is their new mascots going to be called? And they just signed a new deal. They're going to be a part of the uh, San Diego Padres, their new baseball team there. I'm really hoping that they're called the Sod Poodles. That would be pretty freaking great. Uh, but for now, I got two little boys who I'm going to go hang out with, as well as the rest of my family. Got to get home. Going to get home. It is Mahomes Day night football. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs at the Broncos. Looking forward to that. And so good to be back with you here. Do you like the program? Uh, pass along to your friends. Help us keep growing. We are mighty obliged that you do that with your friends and pass along other side of texas be on other side of texas.com got a statewide 
piece that's going to drop. I think this week in the next few days, uh, we'll put that up at other side of Texas.com at OSTX show on Twitter and other side of Texas on Facebook. We'll be right back here. Raven on about 23 hours from now. We'll see you back here on the other side of Texas. It's who we want.